This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Time to put on the show. It was a reintroduction to a very specific species of American fan. Ugh. Uniquely aggravating. Entitled, cloaked in arrogance, and detectable by their distinct projection that because of their uniforms and their history, that they are uniquely deserving of championships. The opening game in a four-game series against the New York Yankees rubbed my nose in all of that. It is Danny and Gallant. It's Friday, August 6th, and for about seven innings, last night's game was thoroughly enjoyable and actually competitive right up to the very end, we should point out, but... Paul, there was there was a, a distinctly unsatisfying conclusion. It was in the immediacy afterwards. I definitely will look back at that game and think, man, they had it. They really had it. I am actually happy about something that took place in the game, and I kind of feel like I drank a little bit of loser juice after the fact because and smoked that, five cigarettes. <laughs> well, What's I do going definitely on? sound like I did. Did you, did you have a le- re- late night? Oh, allergies. allergies. Have oh, taken allergies. My voice. I, I'm allergies. not kidding. I'm not kidding. You, uh, I, I am doing the show from home today because every single commercial break, I'm going into basically this like steam machine that I have to try to loosen things up. I found myself looking at Jared Kelnick and what he was able to do in Yankee Stadium and actually being maybe more happy with that than I am disappointed in the loss. But still, they had it, and it stinks when you see this team have opportunities, and I know a lot of people are going to point to the lack of a certain someone, one Kendall Graveman, maybe. on this game, right? It's Paul Seawald. Paul Seawald's been your best reliever. That's true. In, in, in addition to Kendall Graveman, like, that's, you can't, when but Diego people are Castillo, going to do it, right? People are going to do it anyway. Stupid people, though. Like, do we have to listen <laughs> to stupid people? Like, do we have to listen? Like, that doesn't... It makes sense if you're like, Diego Castillo gave up a home run, and I'm mad about that because they messed with the bullpen. Paul Seawald comes in and gives up a three-run homer. I, yeah. I have a hard time... First of all, he gives it up in a rinky-dink park, which, yes, I know that the Mariners got the benefit of that short right field porch on two different home runs, but theirs counted for three runs, so I don't think it's fair. That home run went straight up in the air, and I thought for sure that was going to have someone slide on in underneath it, and it left the park. I mean, you know how everyone does these launch angles? He Joey Gallo legitimately looked like he was swatting at a fly that was above him. He did not look like he was swinging a baseball bat. Yeah, and somehow that thing carried out of the yard. Ugh disgusting that okay. ballpark yeah the Mariners got the benefit of it but I agree when I saw yeah. it go up in the air I was like that's trouble because he's really strong and that 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 porch is really short let's hear let's hear it from Seattle's angle let's hear it from how how Joey Gallo's three-run homer in the seventh inning sounded in Seattle runners at the corners listen to this crowd the 1-0 pitch to Gallo breaking ball Swung on, head high, deep right field. Hanniger giving chase in the corner, reach it up, can't get it. Almost the same place where Kelnick hit his home run. This a three-run shot. The Yankees are back in front, five to three. Now, I want you to hear how it sounded in New York. Oh no! And 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 maybe and 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 maybe this will identify like why this morning I woke up with the reminder of. Often imitated, 
never duplicated the truly abominable nature of of Yankee fandom. Here's here's how that same play sounded here in Manhattan. High fly ball down the line. Hanniger on the track at the wall. See ya. Joey Gallo signature Yankee moment. A three-run home run. His first blast is a Yankee, and it gives them a 5-3 lead. It's the signature Yankee moment that it did for did it for me. And it's the reminder of that sense that New York Yankee fans have that it doesn't really matter until you do it in New York. That it doesn't really matter. Joey Gallo's been in the league for a while. Joey Gallo's yep. been an all-star. He's an all-star in 2019. Joey Gallo's... Uh, a big slugger, someone who doesn't hit for a high average and plays way better defense than people think. But he's he's an established player, and there's this, oh, signature Yankee moment. It's like, yeah, but it was in your little rinky-dink port. And and there's it's just that feeling. Yankee fans, they don't cheer for the accomplishment of their athlete. Like, they don't cheer for their team in, in support of their team so much as they're, they're happy that that guy has fulfilled what they think it means to be a Yankee. He like there's there's just pinstripes. They, yes, it's that. It's sending them out for a curtain call. They've what, won 27 championships? They've won, for a franchise that wants, has won 27 championships and says they're accustomed to these sort of things, they give out a lot of curtain calls. They give out a lot of giving out right. curtain calls for three run homers in the bottom of the seventh of an early August game. Like that seems that seems a little cheap. And look, I get that it sounds petty, but there was just this reminder. Yankee fans sit alone atop that precipice of the most hateable fan base in the entire country. Michael Kay's call in particular. I hate that. Just arrogant, cocky. See ya. It's so demeaning, belittling, and gross. At least John Sterling makes me smile because he's just a giant corny person. Meanwhile, you hear Michael Kay there, which we just played for you. Yeah, and the arrogance seeps, and it's been there for a long time. They are playing better now, too, which is unfortunate because the, the Mariners... Hot. Yeah, yeah, do you have an edge as far as health? Right, 8 of 11. And you would think that, okay, with the health issues that New York is going through, that this would give Seattle a pretty good chance, the Mariners, to at least split this series. So this was an opportunity that I think you can argue was wasted. It's not like they didn't play well, but they still have that one problem of if you're going to ask for them to give you a lot of offense, more often than not, you're not going to get more than five runs. Like, that's pretty much the, the high watermark for this team as far as scoring goes. And they, they get the situation. You got two runners on in the ninth inning last night, and Hanniger's at the plate uh, after J.P. Crawford's two-out single. You, you got Kelnick, who walked, and then, and then J.P. Crawford on, and he hits a long, a long fly ball. It might have gone out if he's a left-handed hitter instead of a right-handed hitter. He might not. I was surprised to see when they said that Joey Gallo's home run would have gone out at 10 parks in the league. They basically one third because I, I really was. I was like, I think there's one part that that goes out of. And they said they said there were 10. I think you're right about the diagnosis of what happened, because you can't you can't expect your bullpen to be perfect every single game. Right. And, and that's and the Mariners bullpen has been perfect more often than we could reasonably expect. So the idea that he gets taken out, that Paul Seawall gives up a home run that just clears a short outfield porch against a hitter like Joey Gallo. Like, that, that, is, that is going to happen. So the reason, the reason that they lost this game, well, it could be that they had a couple solo home runs while the Yankees had a three-run shot. Or you just look at it and say they, they, their offense really didn't score enough points, didn't score enough runs. 
And the bright side is that we're getting close to being able to say that Kelnick is 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 at least heated up. This, that this he's was at a least, big moment. You know what? If if New Yorkers it are going to make New York, a, you know what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, for him, this is a big stage for him. There are a lot of people that are in that crowd. I'm sure there were some Mets fans that were in there that saw him, and this was where he was going to make his debut before the Mets obviously traded him to Seattle. And he steps into that ballpark. That is a place where you would wonder how someone might fare. It's always overstated a bit, but... It is something else to go up against the pinstripes in Yankee Stadium. And for a guy who clearly feels himself, he was really feeling himself last night. And it wasn't just the home run. It's the single. It's it's drawing a walk off of Roldis Chapman in the ninth inning. It's the really alert play that he made to jump over a ground ball right underneath his legs that gave the Mariners an opportunity to potentially win that thing. Do you think Torres was thrown off by that? Because I, I, yes, I, I thought he was. I, th- I thought it was. Affa- I thought it affected Torres. We're going to have a lot for you in the show. Uh, Stone Forsyth, Seahawks rookie tackle, is going to be with us at 745. Our coverage from Seahawks training camp is brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. We'll have the professor along in just about five minutes. I do just want to say, like the Yankees sit alone atop that. If you're, if you're going to list the most annoying fan bases in the country, for me, it's Yankees 1, Notre Dame 2. Notre like, Dame's 2. yeah. And maybe that's because I'm a recovering Irish fan and I've got some members of my family who are insufferable Irish fans and they don't they don't win enough. But I think if I'm going one, two, the Lakers are top five, but the Lakers have gone through enough hard times recently that I feel like it's kind of knocked them off their perch. I also find Pittsburgh Steeler fans to be fairly nauseating. The Red Sox are up there, but the Yankees are number one with a bullet. I'm surprised you didn't put the Patriots at number one. You know, I know enough. I know enough people <laughs> that root for that team. To, I'm not sure I think, Patriot fans. I don't know if Patriot fans. There's certainly more of them than Astros fans, but I don't know if they annoy me enough. I, I don't know if they're that much more annoying beyond Astro fans to to qualify for being at the top. Mm. The the paranoia and the constant seeking of approval that they don't need from other people for those two fan bases has been something else. (laughs) And I would know. (laughs) Multiple calls. Or does Paul have the Graz mic this morning? No. No, Paul's playing hurt, so don't you give him a hard time. He's playing hurt. Blowhard coast, Danny. He says dumb stuff like Paul. (laughs) It's Danny and Galan. It's time for us to get to front page news. This this is the front page. Today's top two stories and why they matter. Every morning at 710. Get what you need to know to start your day right now. KJ Wright visited the Raiders yesterday. He left without signing a contract. I got to say this. I'm kind of disappointed. Not that he was interviewing with the Raiders, but that he hasn't found a spot yet. Yeah. I kind of feel like the writing's on the wall a little bit for him. And and maybe it'd be better for every... I'm, I'm kind of puzzled at what's going on with him. We know that the Raiders have a former Seahawk coach on their coaching staff. We know the Cowboys do too. And that we're still waiting for him to sign is, is strange because... Neither of those teams have good defenses. The Raiders' defense was a liability last season. We all saw it in action in that game against the Miami Dolphins. And the Cowboys' defense was too. Both teams could use K.J. Wright. I'm assuming that whatever they are offering him 
is something that he wouldn't want because I feel like he would have been swooped up in an instant just given how good he was last season. Doesn't it give you the sense? Like, here's what I wonder. If the Seahawks have offered him as much or more than anybody else and he's not happy with that and he's hoping that somebody else increases their offer and that it's just not happening. And I, for his sake, I, that's a bummer because he is coming off of a great year. And I'm, I can understand why Seattle's not seeing an offer. They've got some younger players that they'd like to get on the field. It's 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 a bummer for me that he's not finding any of the interest that he would want to have at a it, national level. It is for me too. We 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 both like him a great deal, and he is, I think, the the consummate professional. I I really hope that he ends up somewhere very soon. Honestly, I kind of hope that he ends up back with the Seahawks. I'm very curious to see how the rest of training camp goes, and if maybe Seattle looks his way again and says, you know what, we could definitely use your services this year, but it might require an injury for them to make that phone call. The Front Page. Yesterday, Jerry DePoto, Mariners General Manager, joined us for the Jerry DePoto Show, and we asked him about the timeline for Mariner reinforcements, specifically Kyle Lewis, among others. Here's what the GM had to say. So Kyle, we're hopeful. You know, he's now taking it. He's doing baseball activity. So, you know, he's, he's hitting down in the cages and, and starting to, to go through some more explosive athletic movements. We're hopeful that we have him back by month's end. But, you know, again, we are not going to put a, a hard date on it quite yet. And sometime when we get home in this next homestand, I believe we'll see Justice Sheffield. And, and Justin Dunn is probably not too far behind. It's great they news, right? They should like not that's... put a timeline, but you're right. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that because I, I've been just operating under the assumption he's not going to come back this year. Maybe that's just the pessimist in me, but I, I, I found myself encouraged hearing that. And hopefully it's sooner rather than later, but don't rush it. you got to make sure that that guy's knee is going to be good as long as it possibly can be. It's a significant boost. When, when, he, when, he gets, when he gets in the lineup and you have his bat, even if he's DHing, yeah. It's a significant boost, and, and you'd see that. When, when you're playing uh, one of your catchers, when your catcher, one of your secondary catchers is a designated hitter, yeah. it's, a, it's a pretty good sign. It's a pretty good sign that you, you could really use another bat, and, and hopefully Kyle Lewis will be able to provide that by the end of the week. Would you month. put him at DH full-time, or would you have him alternate into the outfield from time to time? I would not have him playing in the outfield more than twice a week. Yeah, I think that, that's the way I, to go, too. And, that's that's just for this year, but I DH is going to be part of his future. I'm I'm convinced of that. DH is going to be part of his future. Hmm. That is front page news. Couple of texts here. Thought for sure you would be it would be duck fans for you uh, regarding the most hated fans. It is for me personally. But speaking for Seattle, there's too many Kook fans in Seattle who hate the Huskies with the same white hot intensity that I hate the Ducks. I don't think you <laughs> can put the Ducks there. Somebody else said, "Oh, it's got to be Cowboy fans." Maybe if you were only talking about Cowboy fans from outside of Texas. Yeah. Cowboy fans who are based in Texas are actually are are actually quite quite good fans. They're self loathing. They 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 expect the worst. I actually made a joke last night because someone said they were in a sixteen game schedule. Oh no, they play a week seventeen game probably against the Giants, which they'll lose to miss the playoffs. And they're like, Yeah, you're right. You know, they they actually do uh, take it pretty well. Oh, this is Paul's flu game from the 253. Let's go, Paul! <laughs> it's time for us to get strapped up with the professor for our morning drive. 
John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant. Just a four-way battle and there's only going to be three spots. Somebody has to go. The first and final word on everything, everything NFL, NFL from the professor John Clayton. John Clayton. They scored 30 points a game. They're the best running team in football. It's John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant. Professor, it's surprising that K.J. Wright still doesn't have a deal, especially after he visited Las Vegas. Yeah, I I agree because, again, he's too good of a player to be on the street. And you can see a lot of guys who have been to the Pro Bowl that have been out there are starting to sign right now. But I think probably comes down to the money if they they did offer. Now, again, I don't know if the Raiders did offer. It was most likely they probably didn't. I think that they're probably looking at him now. If there's an emergency need for an outside linebacker, they would bring him in. But like, for example, I mean, Gerald McCoy just signed for a little bit over $2 million. I mean, you see a lot, a lot of other deals in the uh, maybe the $1 million range or one and a half to $2 million range. And so I don't know if it's a matter that he doesn't like the money that would be out there. He doesn't like the opportunities that would be out there. And again, understanding that half the league right now is uh, a four three and half the league is a three four he doesn't fit into a three four defense but no i'm surprised because he's too good of a player to be on the street and not getting a deal john let's switch attention a little bit closer to home with the seahawks i keep asking you this should yeah. we start getting worried about no deal for jamal adams and uh Dwayne brown i mean again it just, it just takes time i mean you know you got cap down eight percent uh, 182.5. I mean, you know, you know that he's going to be the highest paid safety. It's just how high is he going to be paid at safety? Still optimistic that something's getting done. Maybe he's taking a little bit longer. But no, I don't think he's start to worry. But again, I mean, you, at some point they need to get something done because, you know, he and Dwayne Brown are part of a hold-in. You know, not the hold out, but the hold in, in the sense that they're not practicing because until they get a deal, they don't want to risk their body to injury. But I think this team needs to move ahead and get this deal done. Are they waiting on Dwayne Brown until Jamal Adams gets done? I think so. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Because, again, yeah, what you're looking at with uh, Dwayne Brown, because, again, I still look at this very similar to what we've seen the last couple of years with Andrew Whitworth. I mean, you know, at one point, Andrew was making like about $12 million a year. You know, you know Dwayne Brown's on an $11 million contract. The likelihood is this is going to be a, a deal that's going to be, you know, most likely like one year, $10 million with void outs and everything to get the cap number very low. But, uh, you know, something needs to get done because, again, I mean, you've got two key starters, two former, I mean, two Pro Bowl players that uh, aren't on your roster. Now, again, I mean, this is the uh, preseason. This is the, you know, only only had a couple of non-padded practices and you have three preseason games. But at some point, you need to get these deals done. Professor, things are not going so well for my guy Joe Judge in New York Mm. we saw another player Zach Fulton become the third Giants player to retire in four days what do you think New York front office might do about all that's happening right now because clearly it's starting to get embarrassing with the guys who are starting to just walk away from the team agreed and again what you wonder about is that are we seeing too much uh, Matt Patricia in Joe Judge I mean you saw earlier in the week they had the fight where 90 players were basically all fighting each other, and uh, Daniel Jones was on the ground underneath all this big pile of guys pounding each other. And so what you kind of wonder is, like, hey, is Joe just becoming a little bit too much like Bill Belichick, too much like uh, – and again, if you don't win, I mean, you don't have that – 
you know, following that's going to be there that Bill Belichick has, because at least Bill Belichick may not to be the best in dealing with players, but again, he wins. And so uh, it's got to be concerned because technically you can almost say this four because Travis Benjamin, uh, I think he's thinking about retirement right now. And that's after having an incident where Joe judge came over to him with the general manager. Uh, and basically they said to him, it's like, Hey, you're too fat. What are you doing? It's like uh, you, we moved you, to, we signed you to be a tight end. You were 20 pounds overweight. What are you doing? And he says, "Well, I just had workouts and trying to get stronger and all that stuff." And they get into a fight on the field with uh, Benjamin, and he gets cut. And so it's like, uh, okay. And so now three retirements. This is crazy. Not only that, you had Jason Garrett, who I've always understood to be a pretty, pretty me- like mellow dude. Like mm-hmm. he's not. He had some sort of he wrote fight on his shirt in a black marker so it said fight exclamation point above the giants. Right. He does a press conference and then when he gets done he says good to see you guys. And he kind of pauses and then he says good to see you guys. Here's a response he says good to see you coach that's how we do it. And it's clear that he's kind of feisty with something. I've seen a couple of reporters say oh he was playfully joking cuz no one said good to see you too. But it kind of sounds like he's asking people to call him coach. It was extremely awkward, if nothing else. It seems like there's a lot that's going sideways there already. Yeah, it really does. I mean, for and of course, uh, you know, Garrett can be a little bit uh, different as far as how mm-hmm. he deals with things. But he's you know a level-headed guy. I think he went to Princeton, smart yes. guy, all those different things. But what in the end, you kind of wonder, it's like, well, what's going through your mind here? You just want to be called coach. Well, it's like uh, you know, they call the head coach Joe when they ask him in press conferences. They call the general manager Jacob when they have him in press conferences. And he just wants to be called coach. Yeah, it's just kind of unusual to see uh, how that's going. And right now the Giants are kind of an unusual team. Whose Hall of Fame speech are you most looking forward to this weekend? Hmm. I don't know if it's going to be uh, – I mean, I think Bill Cower is going to give a good one. Uh, certainly, uh, you know that there will be something good coming out of Edger and James. Uh, I mean, the one thing is – and, and again, in my normal years, which of course this is still not a normal year because of the pandemic, you know, so I usually don't – uh, watch or attend the uh, Hall of Fame speeches because you know at this time I'm usually going to training camps of other teams and this is such a good weekend to you know hit other teams training camps I mean you know if you're, if you're let's say close to Canton you're going over and you're seeing you know what would be if the Steelers weren't playing on a Thursday night you go see the Steelers camp or you, know, you go to Tennessee you go to Indy all those different teams but uh, you know the one thing is it's going to be a little bit different because because you have what uh, 28 guys over the weekend that are being uh, you know going into the Hall of Fame 20 on Saturday and eight on Sunday that uh, but but again you know the speeches are going to be good but they all have to be limited to about five minutes which is almost going to be impossible. There's a really funny segment I saw uh, on Seahawks.com where Robbie Tobeck was talking about Steve Hutchinson's notebook mm-hmm. and the copious notes that that Steve Hutchinson would take even like six years into his career. And Robbie was looking over and he's like, dude, we've run the same stuff we've been doing for six years. Like, what are all these notes that you're taking? So he waits until Hutch leaves, his notebook's in the locker, he opens it up and there were a bunch of sketches. <laughs> like there, there's a picture of a hamburger. There, there's there's a picture of one of the coaches as a piece of macaroni. <laughs> like all 
all of this different stuff. It was pretty. Awesome. It was pretty funny. Uh, professor, thank you very much. We hope you have a great weekend. We'll look forward to hearing you taking calls tomorrow, eight to eleven. No, eight to uh, eight to nine because we got uh, Mariner baseball with the Yankees. Mm. Eight to yeah. nine tomorrow to, with the professor. Yeah, so you're going to have to get up early. An hour of power with him, John. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks. That is the professor. You can hear him again most afternoons with Wyman and Bob, although this week it's been preempted most often for a little bit of Mariner baseball. Pete wants Russ to get the ball, rid of the ball more quickly. That is clear. Why is he making such an emphasis of it? We've got the answer next. Contractors, you are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. This is indeed Paul Gallant, no matter what the haters may say, and his smoked-out voice from allergies. So, something something we've been hearing a whole lot out of training camp and seeing a whole lot out of training camp is that the Seahawks are making an emphasis on getting the football out quickly. Quick passes, short passes. Russ is not, at least, supposed to hold on to the football particularly long, though at Wednesday's practice, there was a moment where Bobby Wagner said, you got to get rid of the ball at some point. And Danny, you heard something from Pete Carroll that makes you feel like what they're doing right now is definitely something we'll be seeing in the regular season. Well, they're certainly talking about getting rid of the ball. When we talked to Pete at the end of the offseason workouts and talked about cutting down the number of sacks, Pete, Pete's answer was, we got to work on, it's a lot, we got to work on getting the ball out quicker. It's, it's the most direct he's ever been. And here's his answer to a question from, from Aaron Levine when it comes to sort of the improvement of the offense. Pete's being more direct with his quarterback than he ever has been publicly. I don't know what he says behind closed doors or how he talks to Russ in the locker room. But this, in terms of his public statements, is much more direct than he's ever been. I, I think that to be a 70% completion guy, I haven't seen that for years. I keep throwing it out there, Adam, challenging to get that done. And uh, we got to be more efficient with the ball. You know, we, we don't want him uh, taking those losses. It's so difficult to overcome those. And so we're hoping that the efficiency of the throwing game will be such that we won't uh, take as many minus yards plays, you know, and, and uh, we can keep taking advantage of all the plus things that come from the throwing game. What's he talking about there? He's talking about taking sacks and the sort of the boom-bust nature of some of Russ's scrambles, right? In yep. which I've chalked it up. That's the cost of doing business. Russ has huge plays that come out of some of those, and sometimes he takes some losses. Some, he doesn't throw interceptions to his credit, but sometimes he'll take a 12-yard loss on a sack. It's not even like a six-yard loss where your protection wasn't set. It is a full-on, you're going to have to punt if that happens on second down kind of loss. Pete's being more direct than he ever has been with he be? wanting his quarterback to get rid of the ball sooner. He should be. I mean, especially when you put the context of this offseason into what they're trying to do right now. Shoot, just go to the Dan Patrick interview where, as you just said, Danny, Ross basically said that it's the cost of doing business. I Sometimes make some plays. Sometimes lead to big plays, yeah. Hey, you're, you're right, but I, I don't think that's a new message privately. I think what's different is how clearly Pete is saying it publicly. And Pete's, Pete's MO has always been, like, he doesn't, he doesn't, use, he doesn't use anger and he doesn't use sort of threats as part of his coaching. Like he is a positive, a positive base. He 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 does not use a negative fear based coaching approach, and some of that has been that he doesn't criticize guys publicly. That that's even true when they trade or waive guys. Like he doesn't he doesn't do it. So there's 
there's part of me that feels that after what Russ said publicly this offseason, Pete's like, okay, well, we're just going to say the, the quiet part out loud. Like, we're, we're, we're just going to make it clear. Like, if, if you're going to say I'm tired of getting hit so much, I'm going to start saying that, well, part of the reason you're getting hit, you got to let go of the ball. And I don't know if it's a if it's a belief that maybe public pressure will do something that the private words, because it can't be after nine years. They've just decided this. He has to have been saying this privately to Russ, and it just hasn't produced, it hasn't gotten Russ to change his approach on the field. It probably didn't quite click with Brian Schottenheimer's offense, number one. But I, I also think that maybe the reason it's coming out like this is because of the way that things came out publicly for Russ, right? This offseason, yeah. and maybe this is his way of fighting back in a different way, of course, not necessarily confrontational. But God, I it, hope it's not fighting back, right? Like, I, 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 hope it's, I hope it's sort of result-based, that he's hoping this will have an effect and maybe the words said publicly will reach Russ rather than, okay— Laundry's coming out because that that doesn't sound like a healthy a healthy situation if that's the way it's going to go. Or he might just be being transparent here and telling us what they are prioritizing because we all see it. I mean, if if you're mm-hmm. out there, you have seen the Seahawks seemingly focus specifically on those short passes to a point where DK Metcalf's barely being involved. You know, there are some plays downfield where too you you think that Russ would definitely look his way and say, "Ooh, he's matched up with." Uh, Trey Brown, or he's matched up with DJ Reed, which I actually have seen a couple of times. And instead, he's been trying to get it out quickly. And I like that there's a concerted effort being made, maybe at the cost of actually doing what's right on the football field in that moment, because sometimes maybe you have to go back to step one to relearn some of these things, to rewire yourself in a way where you're going to be able to see some of these things as they open up on these plays quickly so you can get the easy five, six, seven yards or so that you can from time to time. There's a danger here, right? There's a danger that you take away one of Russ's biggest strengths, right? Because it's easy to say, hey, we don't want you to scramble except for when it results in a big play. Like you have to say, we don't want you to scramble. And that means by definition, you're going to lose some of those big plays, right? There's there's a cost to this. And I I I think that the cost is worth taking because we saw the second half of last season an offense get into a rut that it couldn't get out of. And I I don't think yeah. the reaction is say, okay, we just need to be better at that. I get I get saying, no man, our offense needs to be more predictable. We can't we can't go quarters and games at a time in which we're just banging our head against the wall because you're not quite able to escape the pass rush, but you're still holding on to the ball. We need to get some things that are more predictable. But there is the danger is that you're muting one of one of your offense's bigger strengths. But the other danger is that he's no longer that strong when it comes it's to extending too. plays. And I just will look at the Giants game and while the Giants I think did a really good job of of playing against Russ and keeping him contained and things that used to not be something that was a problem for him. He used to be able to, I think, escape that a little bit more quickly than he did. And I would just, as the comparison, don't necessarily look at Russ and say, oh, he's not mobile anymore, because that's just not true. But I would just make the comparison to what you see out of Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl and how amazingly elusive he was in that game. I mean, that he was able to evade some of the sacks that he did and that ridiculous incompletion passes that I've never seen before. You know, like, wow, that's a highlight. It's an incompletion that's something that Russ probably could do five, six years ago. I don't know that he can always do it now. And when you can't always do it, you got to change things up. Danny and Gallant. 
got a little bit of a change of plan here because Stone Forsyth is with us. He's going to have two right. So we're going to have him with us here on the Issaquah Pest Control Hotline. Stone, first of all, we want to say uh, welcome to Seattle. We're really excited to talk to you. Actually, guys, I'm sorry. I think he'll be here just a moment. They said his schedule, his treatment schedule got moved around. So if, if we want to talk to him, we'll have to do it here in just a moment. But I don't have him just yet. Okay. okay, we'll get to Stone Forsyth, who is the Seahawks rookie tackle, drafted out of Florida, and someone who has been able to to make quite an impression over the, the first week of training camp. And the offensive line is going to be something that is in center stage. He's getting more opportunities uh, with, with Dwayne Brown currently not practicing. So, Stone, first of all, I want to say uh, we're really excited to talk to you, and thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Yeah, thanks for having me anytime, anytime. What's training camp, your first NFL training camp, been like so far? Uh, it's been a lot of adjustments, but, I mean, you got to have those quick uh, quick, quick adjustments. And then um, it's got a lot of learning, uh, kind of offense a little different from college for me, and then kind of putting my hand in dirt and three-point, kind of more run game. But it's been uh, great so far. What's it been like to catch up with Freddie Swain? Oh, I mean, yeah, he's a clown. Uh, he he <laughs> Uh, he was my roommate when I, we first got to college. Uh, we early enrolled together. So it's uh, kind of nice getting back with him. Um, uh, his girlfriend and my girlfriend are kind of good friends, so we're kind of excited to get them back together up here. So who was the messier between the two of you if you were roommates? Uh, we were both clean. I mean, we both we were both close to home, so we'd go home on the weekend, so we really didn't see each other besides just during the week. But uh, we, we, we kept our dorm clean. Okay, well... You know what? You guys are good teammates because you're sticking up for each other. One of you had to be worse than the other <laughs> one, but we'll we'll just move on. Yeah, so, yeah. S- Stone, you your name is Stone. You have yeah. a brother named Hawk. Yeah, I, do. I mean, this is these are two amazing names. But what's yeah. the cooler name? Um, I mean, I'm gonna go with Stone. I mean, Hawk's cool. I mean, Seahawks kind of worked out like that. But um, I haven't really met anybody with the name Stone. Uh, I've kinda, <laughs> I haven't either. <laughs> I've seen one or two Hawks, but. Uh, Spelled differently, but I think I'm gonna go with mine just because that's mine. What was your reaction like, Stone, when sort of all the dust settled after the draft, and you found out that you were coming to Seattle, and you talked to the coaches and met everybody? What 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 feelings did you have about this was where your pro career was going to start? I mean, I was, I was excited to get started. I mean, I know the draft has some influence on kind of how your career goes, but I know at the end of the day, like I, my career is kind of how I make it. So I knew. I knew I can play kind of like them first, second rounder guys, so that's when I'm going to go out here and kind of prove what I can do. It's one of the hardest things I thought about when, when you're coming out of college to have kind of this very sort of public selection process and it, some disappointments that can come with that and some excitement, but it's really the start of the journey. It's not an end, and I know that that doesn't always feel that way for guys who are in the draft because that's something you've worked so hard toward, but it's really what matters most is kind of what what happens next for you going forward, what you make out of this opportunity. Yeah, for sure. I mean, kind of when I got that call from Pete Carroll and uh, GM, they were just kind of like, it's not about where you start, it's kind of how you finish. And that's kind of been my mindset um, going into it. And I mean, at the end of the day, we're, we're all rookies on day one, and it really don't mean anything when you kind of put them pads on and kind of get into training camp. I know you're close with your dad who played defensive line at Kent State. He had a brief stint in, in the NFL, and, and I know that you know when he went through the stroke that he had, that had to have been really, really difficult for you. But it, 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 he's got to be so proud to see you being able to make it into the NFL. Yeah, he's proud for sure. I mean, we kind of talk daily every other day and kind of stuff like that. Uh, he's always helped me along the road, um, just kind of 
kind of watched over some of my film in college and kind of helped me out here and there and kind of let me know kind of what I need to do, just a different set of eyes and kind of different voice rather than kind of being from your O-line coach. What do you think is the reason that you've made it here, Stone? I, I like to ask guys kind of the what they think allowed them to to progress through the different levels of football to get to this point where you're in a very, very select chosen number of, I think it's less than 3,000 people that are on NFL rosters right now. They're going to be fewer once once cuts happen. What's what's allowed you to make it to this point? Uh, I mean, I just think just kind of my God's god's gift kind of just this size uh, you can't really coach size but then just kind of my my passion behind the football and just kind of kind of i care what I, what i put out on the field and kind of proud of what my what my work is so i just kind of have that chip on my shoulder kind of just don't want to put anything too bad on there and just kind of show what i can do and just keep improving every day what's something about playing offensive line that the average person would have no clue about um I mean, I think it's—I think it might be the only position in any sports out there that you can't see the ball. I feel like every other position you can see the ball and you're kind of attacking the ball or defending it. So we're, we're the only position we don't know where the ball's at. So I think that's kind of a unique thing. My last question for you, Stone, and we have Stone Forsyth, uh, Seahawks rookie tackle that's with us. You, you're getting an opportunity to be around one of the best in the game in, in Dwayne Brown. Mm-hmm. What are the things either that you've you've seen from him prior to getting here or things impact that he's made once you you've gotten here and gotten a chance to meet him i mean i just kind of watched some of his game kind of with the install tapes uh just kind of like he's one of them seasoned vets uh kind of some stuff he does may not work for everybody else but it works for him and just kind of kind of realize he has his own ways and how he does stuff but i mean they work and um he's just kind of helped me out through practice uh kind of once we put the pads on he's kind of He's kind of let me know what I need to work on, and um, kind of I'm just trying out here trying to earn his respect and kind of show him that I can do it. Stone, I'm tempted to try to make a corny play on words about you becoming a rock on the offensive line. Instead, <laughs> I'm just going to say we're really excited to have you in Seattle, and we really look forward to seeing what 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 your career becomes here. W- welcome to Seattle. We're so glad to have you. All right, thanks. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Stone. That is Stone Forsyth. Uh, we'll be back. It's Danny and Gallant. Our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Really cool to have Stone Forsyth with us. That was awesome to talk to him. Yeah. I, I, I've got a question. It looks like they've just changed it. This morning... The front, the center story on ESPN.com was about Messi leaving Barcelona. Oh, yeah. Like, is Messi really leaving Barca? What happens next? As what? Where have we gone to? As a like, training camps are open. Yeah, ba- baseball pennant chases are happening. Mm-hmm. I know, I know, Messi's a big deal globally. It might be the biggest global, but we he doesn't play in America. Won't play and yet in he's still, and and yet he is still, I think, an international icon as far as athletes go. He's the nobody he's the best in America cares about generation. Him. Nobody, nobody in our, nobody in America cares. He certainly doesn't belong extreme. on the front. It, no, he doesn't belong on the front page of ESPN.com this, this when guy, the day starts. This guy, this guy is signing like billion dollar contracts. I, I, I feel like this is the one guy that does sort of transcend internationally. It's him and Ronaldo. Outside of that, I, I'm with you. If it was some other random dude, I, I think it would be different. But Lionel Messi, come on, man, that's that's the best soccer player in the world. 
how many league titles has his Barca team won? Do you all know? of them? I'm guessing. No, who knows? I don't care. Nobody cares. <laughs> Come on, it's August. Well, it's training camp season. But what headline's going to be better than that? Like Matt Nagy saying that, yeah, Nick Foles trade talk. It's really, it's really boiling all of a sudden. How about this? Joey Gallo with signature Yankee moment homering against oh. Paul Seawald in playoff chase. That's a bigger deal in our country, right? He earned his pinstripes last night, that's for sure. <laughs> we had God. this conversation about the most insufferable fan bases. I've got the Yankees clear cut number one. Absolutely on top, no doubt I'm about surprised it. That, I'm surprised you went with them number one, though. I am surprised by that. I, I generally just don't like New York sports fans in general, so I kind of put lump them all together. But, See, I uh, think Yankee fans stand alone. Nick fans are great. Nick fans are awesome. Uh, Giant fans are fairly insufferable. But Jet yeah. Met fans and Islander fans, those people are salt of the earth. There's nothing wrong with them at all. Number two for me is Notre Dame fans. Notre Dame then we get weird. into kind of a conglomeration in which I could see Steeler fans, Laker fans, Celtic fans, Red Sox fans, Duke fans, and Patriot fans. Would you lump all Boston to... fans in together as one? It's a, it's a fair point. It's a fair thing to ask. I think Red Sox fans are worse than, than, than Patriots fans. I, I feel like Red Sox fans don't care as much as Patriot fans do. I think it's changed over the last 20 years. I say this as someone who used to live in the area. I would put the Patriots at number one because my big issue has always been with people that grew up in the same area as me. Why do you need to be liked by everybody else? Embrace just being the worst instead of feeling this paranoia, you know? So I, I, I would put them at number one, and I do think that you put them all together and they're, God, they're, ugh, it's tribal. I'll say this. The reason that I have Red Sox fans as worse than Patriot fans is Patriot fans are at least loyal. Red Sox fans dump on their players as soon as they leave. Hmm. The moment those you know guys what? leave, like there is, a, and, and, and there's a hatred of them that gets vented like David Wright, or there was one year where the, the, the Red Sox collapse, and all of a sudden there's stories in the newspaper about Francona having a, was it a, a drug abuse problem? That's that's why I stopped rooting for the Red Sox, actually. And then yeah. it was three pitchers who were eating fried chicken and playing mm-hmm. video games and drinking beer during games. And yeah. I was like, what What sort of turn tail just absolutely hating on your own guys? Frank Conan, Frank Conan should have been an icon there. The organization is the one that leaked it out, though. I, I, to me, that's more an organization thing than it is the fan base. The fan base, I think some people were like, what? Come on. And it's sort of changed the dynamic of the way that they're, I think, appreciated there. But uh, outside of that, I'm surprised that you have Notre Dame up as highs because they've oh, taken in the shorts so many times. Yeah, yeah but, no but one, they, they have but to know still, their place now. They don't. They do. They absolutely do not. They, whether it's their national TV deal, like they think they matter. They think they're on par with the SEC. Like, and at least I'll say, like SEC fans are annoying, but at least they're good. Like Notre Dame fans, their their team doesn't doesn't play well enough to back up that sort of swagger that they have. I love them. I I think Texas A and Notre fans. Dame fans. <laughs> You don't love Notre Dame fans. Oh, you're no, talking about Texas fans. And Texas A&M, Texas A&M fans are. Uh, oh, I wouldn't are, want that life. I don't. I don't. That, that's a horrible ever life. You're like the, you're like the third most relevant team in your state, and you're just bitter about it. But imagine watching a game with them, and they all start doing these like culty chants together, and you're at a bar. You're not at the stadium. It, it's it like you're like whoa, whoa. 
Oh, get away from me. Also, the Seahawks have to pay them for the 12 flag. Yeah, I think annoying. they pay him about 25 cents. I, I think they pay him. <laughs> I, wanted, I, wa- I wanted Paul Allen. Like, this is honest to God. When Texas A&M sued the Seahawks, I wanted Paul Allen to buy the school immediately announced that he was disbanding varsity athletics, that it would only be intramurals <laughs> going forward, and saying, I'm changing your, your mascot to Rednecks. Like, that's just how it's going to be going forward. It's Danny and Gallant. We're going to bring in Michael Bumpus. He joins us for the next hour, starting with Blue 42 next.